All right, so let's move it into our... <laughs> uh, you don't get it? <laughs> All right, well... Our world is changing. We have some other issues at hand that we have to think about and talk about. 2018, marijuana is now legal in the state of California for recreational use. What are we supposed to do with this issue as the church? What was that? Did he say toke up? What do you? Sell it. Oh, oh my gosh. Welcome to Granite Creek, and that is one of our leaders. Yeah. Um, no, really, we have to think about this. We have to talk about it because it's, it's a real issue, and it's a defining issue. So how, as a Christian, how, what is it, is it, should it be a Christian lifestyle okay? I mean, automatically, probably most of us in this room are going to say no. Your kids are not going to say no. Um, but yeah, we see it as a taboo issue. They see it as a cultural shift. And we need to figure it out. Um, most of us are okay with alcohol, but we're not okay with being drunk, right? The Bible says that you're not allowed to get drunk. Uh, but Jesus clearly drank wine. So one of the questions that popped up years ago, what would Jesus do? Would Jesus smoke marijuana? I don't think that he would. Would Jesus drink wine? Yeah, we, he would. We, clearly he did. So this is a tough question, isn't it? Would he do it? It's confusing because some of you have friends that look like Jesus that smoke marijuana. So don't, let's, just not get, <laughs> let's just not get confused here. Don't let that confuse you. Ask the honest question, would Jesus do it? Is it okay for medical use? My personal belief is it, it is. I did opiates. That was not good. It, but it killed the pain. But I had to get off of it eventually. And so those are the types of questions that we need to ask. But here's the thing. Uh, our moral standard, our moral guide point, whatever we decide that it is, as a church, as a society, as Christians, when we begin to hammer this thing out on what our, or our lifestyle expectations are as Christians with inside of this society, um, moral standards don't make you a Christian. Did you know that one? That one's tough. Because if moral standards made you a Christian, then there would be no difference between what we do and what the Mormon church does. Because their moral standards are equal to ours, if not better than ours. Uh, when you push religion into the political realm, uh, we are strange bedfellows with the Mormon church because we hold the same values. We just have a different belief in the Trinity. It's interesting territory that we're in. We vote, we'll vote the same, we'll lobby the same, but you get us into a spiritual context. We couldn't be further apart on how we view God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. So moral standards don't 
dictate your faith. Your faith in Jesus is what dictates your faith. So let's actually crack the Bible and take a look at what's, what the Bible says about a Christian lifestyle. We're going to look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12. Usually when I end a sermon, um, I'll give a blessing or a benediction before I send you out. And Thessalonians is one of my favorites that I give because it, um, it's holistic. It gives us, a, it gives us a, an overview of how God wants to bless our lives. And it says this, may, the God, may God himself, the God of peace, and you've heard me say this, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole body, soul, mind, I think I add spirit or mind. I add, I add one, I add to the scriptures. I know I'm not supposed to do that, but I don't think God would mind. Your body, soul, mind, and spirit, may it be kept blameless until the coming of our Lord Jesus. And for me, what that says to our church is that in our lifestyle, in our growth, in our maturity, the God is he is concerned about your whole being, your mind, your body, your soul. Jesus tells us that we are to love God with all of our heart, which means our spirit, all of our soul, which means our emotions, with all of our mind, which is your intellectual capacity, and with all of your strength, which means your natural gifts that God has given you. You're supposed to do it with all of your heart. Like, this is the Christian lifestyle. We're to love God with every ounce of our being. And so when I send you out with this blessing, and when my prayer is for you as a church, is that you begin to grow and that you mature and a balanced, equal level in all of these things. Can you, be, uh, can you be a spiritual giant and an emotional infant at the same time? You can't. I'm not saying that you can't access some spiritual dimensions while being a basket case, but God wants to heal your emotions along with your spirit. Um, the Bible is very clear that the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so we are to house this thing. That's why I feel really bad that uh, I ate a pound of chocolate. Why during Christmas time I completely fell off the wagon. And it is a new beginning, right? I'm completely okay with New Year's resolutions. I highly encourage them. Because if you don't do it now, when are you going to do it? Fall forward. So next year I'm only going to eat a half a pound of chocolate at Christmas time. Falling forward. All right, here's the lifestyle. Verse 12. Finally, uh, now then, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. This is the element of the Christian lifestyle. You live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers, warn those who are idle, encourage the timid, help the weak, be patient with everyone, make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always be kind to each other and to everyone else. Be joyful every once in a while, Maybe on Sundays. This is fun. Be joyful 
always. Uh, pray just at dinner time and when bad things are happening to you. No, pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Jesus Christ. Do not put out the Spirit's fire and do not treat prophecies with contempt. Test everything, hold everything that is good and avoid every kind of evil. Some of your translations might say, don't quench the Spirit. Like God, God, God's moving. Like God is moving right now. Like in this place, in this space, in this moment, in this time, he is moving right now, and your spirit must respond. Don't quench it. Don't, let, don't get in the way of what God wants to do. Don't cloud it up. It's very crystal clear what God wants to do in your life. Don't quench it. Here's my benediction. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless. And again, I added, I added the mind. That's what I added. To the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. So this is, the, this is one snapshot of the Christian lifestyle. Basically, it's just being nice to each other. Ephesians chapter 4, turn with me there, verse 17, gives you a better snapshot of what the Christian lifestyle is. So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and uh, are, and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them to the hardening of their hearts. This is tough stuff, right? And we're not supposed to think like the world thinks. We now begin to think with the mind of Christ. There's a different perspective. There's a different vision. There's a different language that Christians use. And it's not Christianese, by the way. It will tell us what it is in a second. God, because of the ignorance uh, that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts, having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with continual lust for more. You, however, did not know, come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off the old self, which is being corrupted in its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your minds. This is something that we've been talking about quite a bit lately. Putting off your old self and putting on the new self. Let your old self die. It's not good. It's old. It's useless. Let it go. Some of us that have been walking with the Lord for a very long time, we still have areas and chambers inside of our heart that we've been holding on to for years, and we need to let it go. We need to take it off. We need to put on the new. We need to let it die. We need to let God grow something else inside of our hearts. So for some of you, that means you might need to actually let God change your personality. 
There's elements of our personality that just aren't good. They're just not healthy. But you might think that that's your identity. This is who I am. That's how God made me. No, God didn't make you angry. God didn't make you depressed. God didn't make you bitter. That's not how you're created. That's not how you're designed. Let it die. Let God replace it with something that's better. Be made new in the attitudes of your mind. Put on the old self. Created like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehoods. Okay, this is a big, giant fire hydrant of information right here. Okay, this is the Christian life. This is what we should basically not do and do. Therefore, each of, each of you must put off falsehoods and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. So the Christian lifestyle, the Christian behavior is, I mean, it's common sense, but we all do it, is you don't lie. You don't tell falsehoods. You don't make up stories. You don't embellish. Pastors are notoriously famous for embellishing stories. Hyperbole. We have to be careful. A little embellishment here and there, I don't know. But falsehoods, falsely leading people astray, or not taking, like the white lie thing, not taking responsibility for your actions and your deeds and your desires, and you make up stories because you... We've all done this. The Christian lifestyle doesn't make up stories or excuses. The Christian lifestyle owns it. It's not easy to do. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. The Christian lifestyle, the faith lifestyle says, I have self-control over my emotions. Can I get an amen? Isn't that so difficult to do? Practically, what do, you, uh, what do you do when you're hot? Practically, what do you do when you're angry? The Bible says you're going to get angry. The Bible says you're going to get, something's going to stir you up. You're going to get annoyed. You're going to be irritated. In your anger, don't sin. Isn't that reassuring? Like you have the opportunity in the moment of your rage to not sin. Uh, I step away. Like I actually, I'll, I'll just like, like if it's me and my wife and we're fighting about something, if there's anger boiling up within me, like I, there, there's a moment of choice that I have to make. All right, I can either let her have it and I've got all the ammunition in the world to dismantle my wife, right? Because you know them well. Like you could say something really mean and nasty because you're in the moment, you're in the heat of the moment, it's, you're raw, you're in the flesh. You know, you, you have the tools to hurt. The Bible says don't sin in your anger. So what I do is just like, okay, I got to, just give me a moment. Let me walk out of the room. Let me compose myself. Let me take self-control over my emotions. This is what Christians do. Uh, the Gentile lifestyle runs his or her mouth. He who has stealing must, uh, must not steal no longer. That's a no-duh, but we know that it happens. 
people cheat. It's tax season coming up. Are you going to cheat on your taxes? But must work doing something that is useful with his own hands that he may have something to what? Share with those in need. There's actually a theology of work. God has called each and one of you to actually do, have a career, to actually put your hands to something, to contribute to society, to contribute to church, to contribute to your families. And it's not all about you. I think one of our problems with our careers is we think that our career is all about us. But it's not. There's a bigger picture to your career, and there's actually a theology to work. God has called you to work. If you have adult children, tell your children that. (laughs) Because what you're saying isn't working if they don't want to get a job. God has called you to work. And I'm going to kick you out in six months if you don't get it. This is the reality of this. This one's fun. Verse 29. Do not let any wholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful in building up others uh, to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Okay, so um, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. So this is a big, giant uh, can of worms here, right? Uh, The easy, short translation of this is to say, don't say bad words, right? So whenever somebody has a potty mouth, this is a good one to point out. And you can beat up up your friends with this Bible reference. But if you want to take it a step further, if you really want to delve into this, the unwholesome talk isn't saying four-letter words necessarily. The unwholesome talk is any language, any words, any attitude that will tear down somebody else. Any negative thing that, that is going to decrease somebody's vision and purpose for their lives. Now, everything that we say, every word that comes out of our mouth, every thought that comes into our heads, if we don't take those thoughts captive, if we don't watch what comes out of our mouth, like we know that words kill. It, the whole, you know, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's a falsehood. Words can hurt. They can kill. And they if not checked by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, they, they're unwholesome. No, we need to say words that encourage one another. That's the Christian lifestyle. It is the one anothering. The irony, the guy that wrote this book, um, he had some very colorful language himself. He, act, there's actually, he actually said a four-letter word in Greek. Doesn't probably translate too well over here, but he's like, what? He's making a point. And his point was no, it's not about the specific word, it's about the attitude of the heart that comes out. You there is the you have power in the tongue to kill or to heal. So do you see it's all kind of interconnected? We are to one another, each other. We are to encourage one another. We're to lift one another up. We're to hold each other accountable. We're to speak life into one another. 
It's really easy. It's really tempting. Specifically, when we begin to hash out what it means to be a Christian, we think we have a specific idea. People don't line up. It's incredibly easy to point out what people are doing wrong rather than what people are doing right. Right? So next time you have a moral standard that you're living up to and then you expect other people to live up to and you degrade them, is that building up or tearing down? It could quite possibly be unwholesome talk. If you... If you say to your friend that, I don't know, let's go to the language thing because that's always fun and that's easy. Let's just say you have a Christian brother or sister and maybe they say some bad words. You have an opportunity to build them up or to tear them down. What's easier? What's beneficial? I think it's okay to say things like, you know what? When you gossip, that not only grieves me, but it grieves the Holy Spirit as well. So let's think of something positive that we can say to our sister that is maybe not acting appropriately or somebody that's annoying you. Let's build them up in the Spirit. Let's actually pray for them. Uh, Jesus models everything for us. You want to know what the Christian lifestyle is? Like, look at his life. I, I, I pray to God the Father at times, and other times I ask the Holy Spirit to come in and lead and guide me, and then sometimes I just need to have a personal conversation with Jesus. Jesus, if you were leading this church, what would you do? Hmm? There's uh, the funny thing. He is leading this church. I... <laughs> All right, Jesus, we have this social issue that is literally dividing the church in America. What would you do? And it's really difficult to lean in and hear Jesus' voice. But we, have, we serve a personal God that has real practical answers. And although our society is changing rapidly, God never changes. One of the things that I've learned when we began, when our cultural Christianity is shifting and our cultural values are shifting, God is always in the midst of it. Jesus is always in the midst of it. And the Bible describes Jesus as being a rock. He is solid. He does not change. He does not evolve. Popular theologians are telling us that God is evolving along with his creation, which is the biggest load of, I can't say bad words, but the Apostle Paul would say a bad word right now if he was here. No, it, it does not change. He does not evolve. He comes into our craziness, and then we begin to form around him. Hmm? And there's strength, and there's security. There should be confidence there's confidence, there should be confidence in your faith. When you begin to walk this thing out, and your, your faith lifestyle, it will never be perfect. But I do want to challenge you to rise up to a higher level. <clears throat> the other side of, uh, remember I said that um, our moral standard does not define us as Christians. You know what defines us as being Christians? Is that we are sealed in the Holy Spirit. You have a little God living inside of you. That's what makes you different, and that's what changes the world. The early church at Pentecost, 
tongues of fire fell on those that were praying diligently and waiting on the Lord and being faithful to his call. Tongues of fire fell on them. And there was something inside of them with a few thousand people that literally changed the world within a hundred years. It toppled an empire. And we're sitting back and wondering why policy, policy, politics has anything to do with our faith. It shouldn't. Again, once, you know, Jesus models everything and he's the story in, in John. He's very practical. Before he was betrayed, he got all of his disciples down and he begins to wash their feet. This is uh, in John, uh, John 13. He begins to wash their feet and he says, I'm washing your feet and I expect you guys to wash each other's feet. And you want to know what the Christian lifestyle is? Jesus tells us specifically. Have you ever wondered if you're actually a Christian? I'm like, I've wondered these things every once in a while. Am I really a Christian? Am I really a person of faith? How do I know? How do you know if you're a person of faith? Jesus tells us in John 13. He says, they will know you. The world will know that you're a Christian. The world will recognize you for who you are, and they will see your identity when they see your love for one another. That's really simple. So the moral standard, we can, we can talk about, we can try to raise up to, we can say, no, this is an absolute, that's a not. This is a negotiable, that's not. Um, it, you know, in Borneo, it's okay to walk around naked, but at Granite Creek, it's not, right? Like, we can begin to have these types of conversations. But the true spiritual standard that Jesus tells us is that as the church, we must love one another. And the feet washing thing, it, it's not a weird, um, esoteric, spiritual practice. Now, it could be. Like, I don't know, I've done feet washing ceremonies. But it's a ceremony. And it's only symbolic. And it means nothing if it doesn't translate into reality of actually helping somebody in their point of need, right? Like, like if, you, if somebody washed your feet in one of these feet washing ceremonies and then you did not in turn go out and serve the poor, you just practice a religious experience. And God doesn't really like religious stuff. He likes really practical stuff. So in our context, to actually wash somebody's feet, that means that you drive to LAX and you pick them up at the airport, because the mode of transportation in the ancient world was your feet. And Jesus was taking care of the mode of transportation. So if you really want to wash somebody's feet, go pick them up at the airport when you don't want to. That's feet washing, folks. Now, I'm not denigrating the feet washing ceremony, but again, they're symbolic, but they must translate. They must become practical. You're just kidding yourself if you're not. All right, let me wrap this up. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ has forgiven you. 
Be imitators of God, therefore, and as dearly loved children, and live a life of love just as God loved us, and he gave himself up for us as a fragrant, fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. There must, but among you, there must not even be a hint of um, all those other sexual immorality. Verse 30, back up to verse 30. This is the point I want to make. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice, and be compassionate, okay? So there's two elements to really messing up what God wants to do in your life. There's two elements to saying, uh, I'm not in the Christian lifestyle. It's grieving the Holy, Holy Spirit and quenching the Holy Spirit. To grieve the Holy Spirit means you let the anger take over. You run with your rage. You're not willing to forgive those that have hurt you. Merry Christmas, right? If we do not accept this lifestyle of forgiveness, this lifestyle of repentance, this lifestyle of turning away from old ways and turning away turning towards God, we grieve the Holy Spirit. Uh, I've heard, I love to tell the story, so if you've heard it, I'm sorry, but some of you haven't heard it. When I was the youth pastor, we, we invited um, prophetic ministry into the, into the youth group. I can't help myself. I'm a charismatic. I did it. We're going to pray for each other. We're going to ask for words of knowledge. We're going to seek prophetic. We are actually going to pray for one another, and God's going to do miracles, and you will be healed. And these are teenagers, and they were eating it up. They were soaking it up. There were girls that were that were getting visions from God and speaking them out, and they were, they were on point. It's like, wow, how'd that happen? There were, there were boys praying for each other, praying prayers of faith with the laying on of hands, and physical bodies were being healed. It was really exciting. And there was just this, this momentum. And then two weeks later, a week later, whatever, uh, these same girls that were speaking God's word and encouraging the group, encouraging the church, where there's this incredible momentum going on, a week later, these same girls were pulling each other's hair in the parking lot because they were fighting over some boy, right? So rage, anger, jealousy, viciousness, revenge seeped into them, got the better of them. They grieved the Holy Spirit, and it was gone. Oh, I hate that, right? You want God moving in your life? Get rid of that, all that old stuff. Quit grieving the Holy Spirit. Because we are limiting him. God is not limited. Like he can do anything that he wants. He has all power. But when we grieve the Holy Spirit, we limit him. Back to Thessalonians. When we begin to think that we're God and we're control freaks, do we have any control freaks in the house? Right? Yeah, I got one. Thank you. You got two, because I'm another one. When we begin to, we want control. We want to be gods of our own lives. When God does something, and maybe it feels, maybe we feel a little uncomfortable, we want to shift the direction of what God's doing, then we begin to quench the Holy Spirit. That's the religious spirit taking place, and the other, the grieving, is the carnal spirit taking place. There's two different spirits at war here. 
You have a religious spirit and you have a carnal spirit. We need to surrender them both to the authority of Jesus in our lives. When we do that, we will see this miracle. And I believe that that's the Christian lifestyle. When we get that, then our moral standard will come up to another level. Let me get to the band and the band to come to the front. Uh, Not every day do we have a healer in the house. And uh, Pat Kempt from Aglow Ministries and Trauma Healing Ministries, like she's in the house. And look, I just, you need to take advantage of it. If you've experienced any type of raw, painful trauma, whether a physical trauma, emotional trauma, even a spiritual trauma, I'm going to be very frank. You'd be a fool if you left the building without getting prayer for it. Today's the day. Don't let it go. If you need physical healing, one of the words that came out today was for respiratory issues. You're having a hard time breathing. Maybe it's a source from asthma. Your asthma wasn't, you had it for a while, and it's just, you just can't shake the, the asthma thing. But good for you because you sucked it up even though you don't feel like coming to church today and you drug yourself to church today. Because of that faithfulness, you'll be healed. So you took, a, you took an opportunity to come when you didn't feel like coming. And God's going to reward the faithfulness in that sense. So if you have that respiratory issue, come and get healing. Uh, during the song, there'll be healing in the back. There'll be prayer in the back. And we've got to wrap it up. So that's one. Um, if you're struggling with suicide because you feel hopeless, don't walk out of the building without us praying for you with that one. If you're considering uh, aborting your child because you don't know what to do, uh, choose life. Let us agree with you in prayer. This is non-judgmental body of believers, the best believers in the world on that topic will pray for you. Don't leave the building without getting prayer. Uh, Would you stand with me? God, right now we just thank you so much for living in our midst. We thank you for our personal relationship, that personal conversation with the face of Jesus, and we ask for more of that. God, we ask for a, a, a a fresh outpouring of your spirit and a pure connection to your identity. We pray this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.